Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. A lot of uh, interesting films to talk about today. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great time for movies. Um, and as we're going to let people know, it's a great time. These are great, all great on the big screen, but if you're feeling the chill, of November, it's okay because there are at-home viewing options available here, which we will talk about. So the first film we're going to start with is All Quiet on the Western Front. And if that sounds familiar, it's because based on a novel from 1929, and it has been adapted before. In this case, this is a German film. It's available on Netflix now to stream. If you see it in this, if you see it listed at, at a theater, go. This is, this is there's some really panoramic, amazing films we're about to talk about. So any chance to see it on the big screen, go. So this film is directed by Edward Berger, and it is set during the closing years of World War One. The fighting is still going on. So a young group of men in Germany, they still want their opportunity to join the war because. They're idealistic. They're, they're very young. What, one of them, I think our hero, Paul Bomber, he is just, um, you know, below the age that he's allowed to join freely. So he sort of like works his way into the army anyway. Um, and, and so they are, they're still idealistic enough to think that, well, if they join the war effort, they become soldiers, they will be heroes. Yeah, and in the history of the nation. And then, of course, when they get into the reality of the war very, very quickly, those realities literally hit them. Um, this film is very graphic in, its, in a way, but it, it's got a purpose to that violence. It, it's obviously, it's a war, and the director doesn't shy away from the onslaught, you know, the Germans were losing in the final days of the war. So this is obviously about, you know, the nonstop barrage. And these people, these young men, plus other soldiers and how, you know, they're dealing with the reality of losing a war, right? Uh, and what was amazing to me was the way the director, you know, had these, like, like I said, panoramic shots of everything takes in the whole reality of the violence of the destruction of everything but then he sort of creates this sort of ebb and flow in the film where that is offset by moments of quiet but some of those moments of quiet and like real humanity are really heartbreaking this is like totally action-packed film i did i don't think i took a breath the whole time and it really if there is an anti-war statement that is timely and it's also timeless this is it this is the one uh but also if you like a lot of action this is this is it but it's, well, I'm going to warn you, it is going to break your heart, but you will be a better person for it. If that sounds tacky, I'm sorry, but it really, uh, it's really going to stay with you. 
Yeah, I can I completely agree with that. And I'll I'll be blunt. I'm I'm not a fan of war movies um, simply because I think there's an oversaturation of them in in the market. Uh, there's a lot of great ones, but every year there's at least one or two war films that we get. Every year there's always award buzz based off of whatever award films uh, war film is coming down the pipe. This one I think actually lives up to the hype. This one deserves to be seen um, for a lot of the reasons that you said. This is a film that is filled with a lot of action. It's very brutal. It's very beautiful to look at. And yet it doesn't glorify war. It doesn't glamorize it. In many ways, it shows how war is often futile. Um, you know, there's you have men in power who are making a lot of decisions and sending millions to their death over the smallest patch of land. And what I liked about this film is you see the propaganda that's associated with war. Like a lot of times when people talk about war, they talk about the heroes and it's, it's always this kind of sense of grandeur and glory. And often, and then when you actually see the war, you realize that it, there's nothing, you know, there's no glory in all of this. The deaths are, are horrific. These people are traumatized. The, the young men sign up because they think it's going to be great and they're going to kill a whole bunch of people, come back heroes and then when they get there and they actually realize that you are killing other human beings sometimes you're doing it just because of the proximity you need to kill them before they kill you but also what it's like to see a, another man die and have to live with that guilt and then with this central character paul we see him go from naive to the point where he's so beaten down of like two years of this that he just becomes a, a killing machine of sorts you know like he's and that's more out of just the frustration and anger that he has yet to go and have to kill again. Like this film is so layered um, in ways that I was not anticipating. And I, and it really does hit you emotionally because you, you know, you don't really know too much about these men, but yet because you're with them for so long and you're enduring so much with them, you really do think about the impact of war and the, the trauma that it, it causes on a whole generation. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, I grew up watching war movies because my dad was obsessed with them. Um, like he had some dealings in World War II. So, uh, you know, he was obsessed with World War II. I don't know if it was therapy for him. I don't know, like whatever. But, you know, he had his eldest child. It happened to be a girl. He didn't care. It's like, sit down and watch, you know, war movies with me. And so I I understand your, your feeling of saturation with war movies. I mean, I enjoyed the experience with my dad only because I was, you know, spending time with my dad. Um, and there were, there, yes, there are some fascinating war pictures. And now I feel like I agree completely that every year there's, you know, a war picture or two and everybody gets all excited when it comes to award season. Um, and it's, you know, maybe a bit too much because they don't really live up. They don't really add anything to the conversation of cinema or society or anything. Um, but this film, yeah, because of the way, like the way you describe what happens to Paul is, is perfect. It's bang on watching individuals, you know, and watching this progression of what the war does to, to these individuals. Even some of the, the supporting characters, like the way that you, you watch them with their idealism and then boom, when they get in there, when they get into the trench in the like just the first day even. And then, yeah, what happens to Paul over time? And you just, you really, the film really draws you in to the experience of the individual in this giant context. Yeah. 
yeah, I think, it's, yeah this it's is a very, very powerful film. And, and, and to your point, I think we've gotten to a level with war films where there has to be like something really unique, like, you know, something like 1917, where they make it seem like it's all one continuous shot. You know, Saving Private Ryan is, you know, a, a compelling story. But everyone remembers the the brutal opening, you know, and the shock of of seeing all that. Like, there's always some kind of element because there's been so many versions, you know. There's been so many different wars, but a lot of the themes are still the same. When I think this one felt like, even though you're in a world that you've probably seen a million times before, there was something really powerful and enriching. And in, in yeah, this and it's different. There's a there's a difference in this and it is in the way it's shot and it is in the way that it uses the cinematic uh, tools, you know, at hand, the cinematography, the, you know, and like I said, the choices of the way um, they, they shot it, the close up versus the panoramic. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah. is absolutely bang on. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we, we will try and gently segue from the horrors of war to let me just say the horror genre in, in general. Uh, the next couple of films that, that, was, a, that was a good segue. Oh, all right, me. there we go. The, the next couple of films we're going to um, talk about all kind of touch on horror in, in different ways. Um, one I'm going to start off with is Wendell and Wild, and that is the new stop motion film from Henry Selick. Um, this is the same director that made Coraline um, a few years ago and I believe was also the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. So you, you understand the kind of caliber in terms of stop motion animation that we're talking about, like really great visuals. And in this film, it's pretty much, you know, continuation of that. The, the character design, the world it creates is really fascinating to, to look at. It, it centers around a young girl who loses her parents in a car accident when she's um, pretty young. And this, the girl's name is Kat. And as she's older now, she's been through like juvenile detention and all this stuff. She's just, you know, really messed up because of that. She ends up being sent to a Catholic school. And while there, through a change of events, she comes across these two demon spirits known as Wendell and Wild, um, played by Jordan Peele is Wild and Ke Keegan Michael Key is Wendell. And they basically barter a deal. If they can, if she helps them come to the, the land of the living, they will use their magical powers to bring back her deceased parents. Um, so that's essentially the, the premise of, of this film. Of course, you know, Wendell and Wild are schemers. They have this vision of creating this amusement park. Um, and they may not necessarily know how to bring back Kat's parents. So there's that whole put at play. And then there's also this whole subplot involving a couple who are basically real estate um, developers where they essentially buy up land or force people off of land so that they can make um, for-profit prisons. So you have all of this going on in this particular film it's visually stunning but i think the script is what kind of holds it back um the, as much as it's fun to kind of observe these characters and their environment and see like how the underworld is its own unique kind of place and even the land of the living is kind of creepy almost gives you like a beetlejuice type of vibe throughout the film 
there's just way too much going on in this film. Like this film is very much about grief, you know, dealing with that. But then you also have the social commentary on for-profit prisons. You also have the fact that even being set within a Catholic school, there's the whole question of faith versus the supernatural and how one particular character who's a priest dies tragically and then is brought back to life. And then the religious values kind of go out the window. Right. And, you know, and the way how profit is kind of interwoven in all of this. So there's a lot going on and I don't think it quite works. And it's also one of those films where I I believe it's rated PG 13, but I don't think younger kids are really gonna get a lot out of it. Um, Just because there's so many different themes. I think more teenagers might enjoy it a bit more. Um, So it's, it's a, a mild recommendation for me just because I, I really enjoy the other films. Like Coraline is, is a classic and this one is not of that level. Not, it's not even of the level of nightmare before Christmas. I think it's a valiant attempt, but just doesn't quite work the way I think it should. Wow. Okay. And, you know, to move on from that, there's another film that just premiered on Disney plus and it, I guess it was released in theaters in September around TIFF. Cause I remember it played, just before TIFF started, and many people called it an unofficial Midnight Madness screening because it was a screening um, at midnight just before TIFF. And it's a film called Barbarian. And it's now available on streaming for um, on Disney+. And it's directed by Zach Kreger. And this one actually caught me off guard. And I, I was quite taken by it. And I think it's best if you go in knowing as little as possible. So I will try my best not to spoil anything, but I will say that the film is about a young woman who is um, in town for a business meeting and she goes to her Airbnb to find out that there's another person already there. So the young woman Tess has to now decide whether or not she's going to stay with this stranger who's, um, whose name is Keith played by Bill Sarsgaard and, and Tess is played by Georgina Campbell, or is she going to be able to try and find housing accommodation? And of course it's a stormy night. Um, Keith has told her that there's a convention in town. There's not, there's no other place. She's not going to find a place. So she makes the decision to stay. And over the course of the night, you have to, you're not quite sure whether or not Keith is on the up and up. And whether or not it was wise to stay. And then things start to happen at this house. And that is all I can say because. Oh, no. That's all. That's exactly all I can say. And this is why I'm going to leave it there because I think you should just watch it and kind of go in not knowing because things happen. And to understand how things happen, the plotting of this film, I think, is, is quite brilliant in the sense that the various characters offer a little more insight into what's going on and a little more insight into the house and the world around right and also just the the environment that they're in because you you find out that this house which at night seemed like it it was in a just regular residential airbnb is actually this decently um this decent house in a really horrible neighborhood and that's all i can say but it is a really entertaining film. I think the ending doesn't quite live up to the um, the beginning 
because the beginning is so taut and, and well-conceived. And as the film starts to unfold, it's really exciting. Then the, the latter half kind of falls apart a little bit. But there's so much interesting stuff that's happening throughout that I was willing to forgive the, the ending. And there's a particular character that is in this film. Um, again, I'm not going to spoil anything. But this character is designed in such a way that you start to actually feel sympathy for this person and then things happen and you just want nothing but this person to get their comeuppance. And that's all I will, like, it's just the way how it, it takes you on it. that little roller coaster and it, yeah. it's, it's quite fun. Um, but again, I do not want to spoil it. I will say, check out Barbarian. It's on um, Disney plus it's, it's a really entertaining horror film. Um, not too gory. For, for those who are really, you know, opposed to, to gore, but just a really fun kind of surprising and inventive horror film that's at least worth checking out. Yeah. Oh, well, speaking of inventive horror films, the latest Jordan Peele-directed film called Nope uh, has been d- released on DVD, and obviously it's on demand now. And <laughs> so this time, Jordan Peele, tackles okay a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of genres to make a horror film this is a neo-western science fiction horror film and yes it's very inventive and it's it's different from us and get out so be prepared for that uh but i think it's no less brilliant because there is a lot going on and he's he's having a lot of fun here um, this film stars Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. They play siblings. They're from a horse wrangling family. And they attempt to capture evidence of an uh, unidentified flying object. Something is out there. They're not quite sure what. And is it a flying object? Mm, we don't know. But I love the fact that Jordan Peele, I mean, when I was talking about panoramic, this is another one. When I love the fact that Jordan Peele is using all the tools in the cinematic, you know, trade. Like the, the cinematography is amazing. His use of sound, like the way he creates this sort of suspense. Um, because with this film, it involves Daniel Kaluuya looking up the, at the sky a lot. And then there's something there. Is there? You don't know. And the sounds. And also the music, the way that they use music. And music sort of gives you clues. But does it? It's, you know, he's totally playing around. And so it's, it's more meandering, you know, than his others. But I say, you know, it's infinitely... It has to be, you know, it's infinitely more interesting for that. They're all interesting in their own ways, each of his films. But this one is interesting because he starts to build up this sense of, you know, something out there is scaring us. and We don't know what it is. So he is tapping into that age old fear that we all can relate to, which is the fear of the unknown. And if some, you know, little clues are out there, sounds, weird things that you can't quite make out, that triggers your imagination to try and figure out what is it. And that 
whatever your imagination comes up with is worse, you know, possibly is worse, but in that moment is worse than whatever's going on. And that's what I loved about the film that he got me totally immersed in that. And <laughs> I was, you know, I was completely taken and completely absorbed by this film. And yeah, I just, Inventive is not, not does not even begin to describe what I thought of Nope. It's like I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 entertaining. And what's interesting about this film is that, as you said, the fear of the unknown um, is prevalent throughout this film. But then also, there's this whole running commentary on mankind's need to both make a spectacle and sensationalize and profit off of the unknown what fear scares us and then also the arrogance of man to think that whatever it is out there we can tame it you know we can control it so you have that kind of playing around in 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 the film um and it's just it's interesting to see how even certain characters who think that they're just there to kind of observe or capture something get high on themselves and believe that you know they they're the only ones that can can tame or capture something that no one else can and you know will, are willing to put themselves and everyone else in jeopardy just to prove that they they can and it's you know i guess you could even say like man versus nature and how man always thinks that they're superior to nature when that's rarely rarely the case Yes. And, and, you know, to your point, um, it also is a comment. I mean, it's, it's got so many references that I saw visual references to all these Hollywood films, you know, it's like, it's just like a little touch here of this, like it just taps in on this one, that one, that one. So in terms of, you know, the arrogance, it's like, you know, there's, there's this sort of way that Hollywood, you know, takes something and thinks that it's helping you. It, it thinks that it's finding the best way of representing it and then giving it back to you. And social media is all about that, that as well, because what you were saying about risks, the kinds of risk. I mean, how many times have we heard about people falling to their deaths because they were trying to get the perfect shot? So that, yeah, that arrogance that nature is there and then we can somehow capture it as you said tame it do something you know um and and this and that obsession with fame like taps into also the cult of personality and like everybody wants to be famous or everybody yeah so i find myself when i start thinking about this film or in this case talking about this film i just can go like the threads of my my thoughts can go this way, that way, that way, you know, and, and, you know, let's not forget what he does with Western conventions. It's, it's, like, it's like, I could sit here forever talking about this film. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of interesting layers and, you know, I, I think the, the commentary on everyone wanting fame is, is accurate because there's, there's a scene that happens in this film that's set on a television um, show, like a family sitcom that something happens and then years later one of those individuals that was there is recounting it but he's recounting it through an snl skin and he's taking such pride in the fact that snl you know yes redid that thing and then when you actually eventually get a little more insight into that 
you think, well, that's something you shouldn't actually be proud of. That was a really yeah. horrific event. But again, that need for, for frame. Yeah, this film does t- tackle a lot of uh, different things. And I just find Peel to be a really interesting director. You can tell he's a, a student of cinema. He's a, he's definitely a student of television because TV seems to, at least in us and this one, t- seems to play a, a pivotal role in yeah. kind of some, some of the themes. So yeah, it, it's it's an enjoyable film. I, I, I understand why it divides people because it's not, it's not like get out, you know, this one definitely goes in different directions. It's even how it approaches the, the Western tropes and the sci-fi tropes are different than what people are going to expect. But I, I still think it's worth seeing. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting that he is playing around and he's not, he's doing things that are different. Get out was different. Us was different. This is, you know, nope is different. They're each different things still within that umbrella of you know horror but we should be celebrating people when they are trying to experiment and push boundaries and i think in terms of his whole output in terms of his body of work so far he's been pushing boundaries and the whole body of work as an entity itself is pushing boundaries because he's not being pinned down even though horror is like the one thing that he seems to be revolving his work around at the moment. He, you know, he's showing that, well, you, can't, you don't have to be limited to this or that, you know, it's not going to always be the same. You can't keep making get out. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. And I, I think he should be celebrated for that. Yeah. And all, all three of his films have, I think broken over a hundred million at the box office. So, I mean, that's financially, that's going to give him even more incentive to just keep, doing what he wants and pushing boundaries because he's showing that there's a market for it with audiences. Absolutely. And I mean, let's not, let's not say that, I mean, critics, there are critics who did think this was brilliant. So including me. So So that's, that's worth a lot too. Lots of fans of this film. Okay. So that, that's a lot. Right. That's a lot lot of stuff you can you can view from the the comfort of your own home and get taken into various different worlds and different types of storytelling. Yes. And it's a wonderful time of the year for cinema. So let's indulge. I won't think about the fact that the cold months are coming because some of the great films are coming and some of them are here already. So that's right. So that's it for Frameline for this week for Courtney Small. I'm Barbara Gosofsky. Thanks for listening.